wondering what's been going on, welcome to Hand of Pod. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 371 of the internet's longest-running Argentine football podcast in any language. I'm Sam Kelly, and this week I'm joined by Tony Hello. and Andres. Hello, and welcome. English Dan is on holiday this week, so he's not here, obviously. Um, we we gave him the day off. Yes, we did, yeah. Uh, he, he offered to come back from the coast for a couple of hours uh, to record with us, but we told him, no, don't do that. Um, we are sponsored by Fanatis, who allow those of you outside Argentina to watch the Superliga, the Copa Superliga, and lots and lots of other stuff if you're in the United States. And you get even more. You get the Libertadores and Sudamericana live, um, as well as a bunch of European competitions via their tie-ins with Gold TV and BN Sports, if BN Sports still have the rights in the States, that is, they did last season. Um, you can get seven-day free trial and 20% off your first three months with Fanatis by going to fntz.co slash hop and using the discount code hopfz that is fntz.co slash hop and discount code hopfz um, you can also become a patron of us on patreon if you want to you get lots and lots of extra content for your money you can sign up with either two dollars a month which will get you an extra episode um per month or you can sign up for five dollars a month which will get you lots of extra episodes per month but don't let that put you off please the address to go to if you want to do that is patreon that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash hand of pod that's fairly easy to remember so i won't repeat it until possibly later on in the podcast uh the results from the super league weekend just gone or, or gone quite some time ago now because we're recording on thursday evening were Aldo Civi nil, Central Córdoba de Santiago del Estero 2, Argentinos Juniors nil, Lanús nil, Gimnasia y Escrima La Plata 1, Patronato de la Juventud Católica 1, Defensa y Justicia nil, Colón nil, Banfield 1, Rosario Central 1, Newell's Old Boys nil, Estudiantes de la Plata nil, Boca Juniors 2, Atlético Tucumán nil, San Lorenzo 1, Vélez Sarsfield 0, Racing 1, Independiente 0, although that really was not the full story, as we will mention in a few minutes, Union 1, River Plate 2, Arsenal Football Club 1, Tacheres 1, and Godoy Cruz Antonio Tomba 2, Huracán 1. Now, first of all, a disclaimer, I was very busy over the weekend, the only matches that I managed to watch all of were Union River and Boca Atletico Tucumán. The only match other than those two that I managed to watch any of was the Clásico de Avellaneda, of which I caught the second half. There is an ambulance in the background. I already was talking over it, so balls to it. If there's another <laughs> one later, then we'll break for it, but that one's already been done now. Uh, so this weekend, this week really is largely going to be 
Andres and Tony telling me what happened. Um, we know one or two of the main talking. Well, I know one or two of the main talking points anyway, uh, and those main talking points are going to come from what has to be the first game that we cover, which is the Clásico, Racing versus Independiente. Um, I did manage to watch a fair bit of the first half on the, on the repeat afterwards. Um, it has to be said that as a whole, not the best game of football ever played in the history of global professional football. Uh, quite dramatic, though. It was intense. Not short of entertainment. Yeah. Would somebody like to take it away? Who can give a bit more <laughs> input than I just have? I think uh, it's really difficult to say that Racing actually deserved to win. They were clever mm-hmm. because they got us themselves in a in a in a really bad situation with with only nine players. But it was so a little bit of being clever enough to defend. It was a lot of naivety from from Independiente not 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 being good enough to break down a a, a nine man team. But the thing is that if if you haven't seen any of the game at all, and if you haven't heard about what happened, then you look at at the standings on soccer score or whatever, and it says one nil, two red cards for Racing, two red cards for Independiente. So, what do you mean Racing were down to nine men? Independiente were down to nine men as well, weren't they, Tony? Yeah, but that happened really late in the game. Mm-hmm. For basically an entire half, uh, Racing was was down for with with nine men, and. I think it was also a, a good coaching. Uh, I don't want to say masterclass because it's a little bit too much. But for example, the, as soon Sigali went off in the, the second red uh, for Racing in the start of the second half, he he uh, put on Mauricio Martinez, which helped Racing retain a little bit more of the ball, try to put a little bit more of take off a little bit of the pressure. Of the possession when they have it, and try to to be quicker, get into the area of Independiente, mm-hmm. and, and and try to basically to score and defend, with, which was what basically happened with Marcelo Diaz eating a banana before scoring, which was really interesting. Yes. There's memes about it. Yes, um, and and he couldn't finish the banana, and he had to run, so he was running with the banana in his mouth. Uh, <laughs> that that it's in for a t-shirt. Yeah, uh, yes. you know. this wasn't a banana that was thrown onto the pitch, was it? Like no, no, no. Danny the, the, he asked for it. Yeah. Yes, it, it wasn't a, a case of racism play. Because I was seeing lots of um, th- there was something on the La Nación sports page the next day about what the referee should have done. It technically should have been a booking, shouldn't it, or something? I don't recall that the the loss of the game says something about eating on the pitch rather than. On the side of the pitch before going back on or something. Well, it was a bit. It's odd, but I mean you're odd, right. Yeah. I, I don't think that there was anything wrong with it, but they seem to think that it, it should have been a yellow. It card. is a bit, perhaps it doesn't happen. Well, I am, I wouldn't say uh, often. It doesn't happen. Mm. So perhaps even referee was like not very well aware of situations like this. Perhaps in the, in the there is in the rules something that says that you can't eat anything while you are playing or when the match is running, but. Uh, Perhaps even the referee wasn't uh, didn't care a bit about that, but uh, about the match, I think that um, when you are with, we have two more men than the than the rival and you are incapable of winning, that talks a, lo- uh, a lot about you. And uh, when you have that advantage, uh, th- that match 
defines you as a team, I think. I mean, uh, uh, of course, Independiente had chances, uh, had shots on target, which Javi Garcia, because Arias was, was also sent off, was one of the sent men that uh, were sent off, uh, had several uh, saves or good saves. But uh, we were, of course, situations that were like obliged because of the, uh, of the road cards. It, it wasn't that naturally Independiente went ahead and attacking Racing, but it was because of the circumstances of the game. Yeah, I mean, if you have nine men, eventually, I think the uh, Independiente thought that eventually they're going to get that goal. They, they yeah. got a little bit comfortable with, with themselves and yes. trying. I know, we, we, we just get into the area, we have our chances, eventually we will get that, that goal that, that will uh, seal the game. So it was a lot about being too comfortable with two players, uh, two extra players in the, on the page. And Racing, I think it was a little bit of um, luck from Becasese because if you try to, to put the structure of Racing after the send-off, uh, Ivan Pichut and Walter Montoya, Walter Montoya basically is a right back that was converted into a midfielder. Mm. So Ivan Pichut tried to play as a kind of a centre-back and then... Um, Lionel Miranda also tried to, to cover the space a little bit more and just left um, Lisandro Lopez as an actual number nine. So, if you move that pieces along like a chess game, it doesn't it doesn't felt like Racing lost the structure. It was still a four four one for a bit and then, and then a four four zero. Yeah, basically yeah. because they were defending, but it was not much left to do because when Mauricio Martinez came in he also plays a centre-back because he was playing as a centre-back it was a, one of the talking points in the last, last podcast that, yeah that, that the point though although he's a midfielder he's been playing he was converted as a centre-back yeah. yeah so Racing was clever enough between the, the, the how the, the, the who was the player on the, uh, on the page and their characteristics and a little bit of, of uh, the changes that, that Beca Sese did just to maintain a solid de- defense and Javier Garcia did enough to, to keep shot Independiente Independiente just didn't do enough in the attacking sign he keep, they, they kept the ball bas- basically it's all that they did yeah um, I mean they had a fair few shots as well at least in the second half that I saw but again really wasteful I, I made the, a joke after half time uh, after full time sorry on Twitter saying that Sebastián Becasese essentially took advantage of the fact that while he was Independiente manager he cultivated this club culture of creating loads of chances and missing all of them um, and you know he's left Independiente and joined Racing um, but Independiente have continued to stick with that well thought out and tried philosophy because it happened against River that happened against Boca Um, 11 shots 4 of which were on target and Racing this is in the second half not the whole game and Racing um, in the second half had one shot and scored from it but also tells a lot about the shot uh, Marcelo Diaz took all the time in the world to place that into the Mm. the back of the net he he knew that was that chance the problem is that when you have uh, 11 uh, players and your rival 9 you have, of course, a bigger responsibility over the match. Um, it's not the same to say, oh, we wasted a lot of chances against, uh, against Racing than saying we lost, we missed a lot of chances against Racing who were with nine, nine players. Yeah. 
it's quite different and yeah, it adds a lot of pressure to Independiente being two men up and it takes a lot of pressure off Racing and a lot yeah, of expectation it, yeah, I mean, it's your responsibility to make the goal they, they can just set up in a mm-hmm. 4-4-0 or a 5-3-0 and say well alright you're two men up do what you we, can. we suddenly don't really have to try to win this anymore yeah. if we get out of it with a draw then that's enough um, in a way I feel like it's a shame that Dan had to uh, had to miss this episode because no doubt he would have enjoyed to record it although at the same time perhaps it's fortunate that we didn't have a Racing fan but no Independiente fan uh, present here because oh, that, that could have been good fun in a way um, they, they buried uh, I don't remember the, the, the exact year in which it was but we talked about uh, the history of Racing Independiente in the extra episode last time mm. and uh, it was said that uh, Racing buried uh, a debt they had because Independiente uh, several years ago did the same to Racing yeah. but with eight men mm. Racing was with eight yes uh, sorry uh, Independiente was with eight and they won the Classico yeah that's one of the uh, Pod extra episodes that you can get by becoming a patron well well plugged Andres well done <laughs> um, so Racing win the Classico uh, in case you were uh, slightly confused then the record of that match goes Gabriel Arias, Racing's starting goalkeeper, was sent off for handling the ball outside his box 40 minutes in. Uh, and was David Barbona was then subbed off for Javier Garcia to, to go in goal. And then six minutes into the second half, Leonardo Sigali was sent off for... Uh, I, actually, I've just realised that although I watched the, second, the whole second half, I can't really remember what it was for. It says violent conduct. An elbow, but it wasn't that... An elbow, that's right. Yeah. It wasn't a clear elbow, but it was like... Yeah, uh, putting his elbow in, his, in the face of uh, Fernandez, I think it was. Yeah. Fernandez. and that was what made it nine versus eleven. And then after Racing had uh, taken the lead uh, with four minutes to go of the ninety, Cecilio Dominguez got a straight red card. There were then nine minutes added on, and six minutes into them, Lucas Romero um, got sent off. Where well, he got a second yellow card for arguing with the ref, didn't he? If I remember. No, but Sidanich. Oh yeah, for arguing with Sitanich. It was silly, silly because Sitanich, it's like grabbed him by his face, mm. and then he protested, and apparently it was um, who was the referee? Um, Lusto was there. The referee was yes, Lusto. Yeah. Um, only watched uh, Romero uh, shouting or or or, or, or arguing or protesting, and not Sitanich. Uh, he was of course Sitanich was smart enough to. Mm. Uh, to it when yes. he wasn't being sent by, yeah. by the by the referee. He, he did get booked as well, but clearly the ref hadn't seen the whole incident. Yeah. Um, I have found the uh, the article about the what should have been the red card for Marcelo Diaz, uh, yellow card, sorry, for Marcelo Diaz eating the banana. Uh, the former referee Miguel Angel Sime um, has told La Nación. Uh, that what Diaz did is prohibited because he continued to eat the banana on the pitch. If he just if he'd stayed off the pitch, it's fine, but you can't be eating while the game's going on around you. And uh, as as you mentioned, Tony, at one point he took a free kick while holding the banana in his hand. Uh, so it should have been either um, he should have just said to Diaz, "Look, if you're going to eat that, get off the pitch, yeah. eat it, finish it, and then come back on the pitch." But it was difficult for or for the referee because he took um, the peel off. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Or, or he should have given Independiente a um, an indirect free kick, apparently. Okay. So it wouldn't have been a booking. In that case, it's like having the broken T-shirt, for example. Yeah. You have to change it. Hmm. You can't play with that. 
Yeah, or, yes. with, or with blood on you or whatever, yeah. Yes. Um, so that is the story of the Avellaneda Clásico. The next game that we will cover is the one, one of the ones that all of us watched. And moreover, we have fans of the two opposing teams uh, here to talk about it. Union um, put up a very brave fight and perhaps feel slightly hard done by uh, yes. for losing. <laughs> Although River, of course, have the best, I think, I'm right in saying the best away record in the Superliga this season. Uh, Union pushed them and made them very dig very, very deep indeed uh, for a 2-1 win. Um, Tony. Yes. What did you think of it from an Union perspective? Uh, um, I, I think the Union went onto the pitch uh, slightly... Um, you know, like... They were in, a, in the right mood after the Atletico Mineiro win. And they played... I oh mean, yeah, we forgot to mention that they, they beat... Was it 3-0? 3-0, yeah. 3-0 yes. last week in the Sudamericana uh, qualifying round, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Uh, so after the 3-0 win, they were in the right spirit and they, they played in the same way. You know, they were really relentless with, with the pressing and with of intensity when they, they went to do the... Either the tackling or, or fighting for the for the fifty fifties, so Union tried to to you know put River into the mud. You know, Union tried to uh, set the rules for the game, mm. and they managed. I mean, they, they did, did it well yeah. enough yes. that about half an hour in, Marcelo Gallardo subbed off uh, Lucas Martinez Cuarta for Juan Fernandez Quintero. That even the match, the yeah, that changed a lot of the game. But it was still a really intense game. I mean, it mm. was up for anyone, really, because they were both attacking really, really intense and trying to 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 do quickly transitions and and try to to take advantage of 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 um, counter attacks. Which is, it, it it made sense because it's a little it's, it's a small page. It's, yeah. And Union play it plays trying to take advantage of that. You know, it's not like the monumental. You know, River has all yeah. the, the space in the world to try to do the the, the passing that they do and, and everything else. So they, they put River on the corner, and River and Gallardo was smart enough to put someone that kind of could untangle mm. the mess that River was in. But even then, it could be a two-two or one-one because basically the sec- second goal was a little bit lucky because hit in the face of. But of you, could, Rojas. you could you could read it. Yeah. In, but in two ways, one is the, that that that, uh, that you are saying that that Gallardo realized that the, the that the well uh, Union had only one striker in 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 the match, who was uh, Walter Bow, and mm-hmm. River had three right uh, center backs, and and uh, that's why he uh, replaced Martinez Cuarta with uh, with Quintero. But in, in the other hand, you could say he didn't know that uh, that Union would, would play like that and. Was twenty eight minutes or thirty minutes? Uh, because it, it was tricky because after uh, before the game, the everyone in, in the Union camp said that it will be Paul and Trzaski, mm. and, and it last be minutes, two, it was uh, last minute. Change. Yeah, and then yeah. The, and, and then he put um, uh, Javier. I don't remember the name. Mendes. Men, no, Mendes, no, it wasn't Mendes. Uh, Barrera, Barrera, Cabrera, 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 which is more like a second striker. Mm. Trying to have the midfielders. Former Argentina Juniors. Yes. yes. So when when he put 
um, Quintero, he was basically trying to put between uh, very close to Mendes, which is probably the weak, weak link in, in Union de Santa Fe. It's he's a good passer, but la had lots of laughs in concentration, which is very odd for, for Madelon to keep playing him when he oh, it's all about concentration in Union. So, like, putting your maximum effort for 90 minutes. Yeah. Uh, so, it was very clever for 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 Gallardo to realize that it wasn't Trojanski and Bow, it wasn't Masola and, and Bow and, and two main strikers trying to, to put pressure onto the centre backs in in not don't let River It was Bonifacio uh, uh, getting to the box by, by by surprise perhaps because it, it was late once, of course, yeah. And yeah, and, and Milo which was really good in the in the left back. I've just been slightly surprised to I've just looked up the players' average positions um, on, so on sofa score and found that for most of the game they've got Cabrera's average position actually being just in front of where Bowl was. But he was definitely starting from more of like a, a wide left midfield position. Mm -hmm. So the, the sort of starting formation was Bowl up front. And um, I suspect that he was just another one of the late fronts for taking During 30 minutes or the, the time in which Rear uh, had uh, this formation with three centre backs, in, in fact, Gachado will, I think, repeat this same formation for uh, the match against Banfield next Sunday. It seems to have become his thing this year, yes. doesn't it? They, they've started every match this year with three at the back, I think. Yes. Initially out of necessity, and then afterwards it's, well, OK, they've been playing quite Because well, of so they are they, used to right now. Like with that, but during that 28, it was, I think, the 28 minutes that they changed. Uh, mm. he, he changed Martínez Huerta for, for Quintero. And then the change, the match changed, but not it was it wasn't a radical change. It was, uh, uh, of course, River having more uh, presence there in, in the in the in the match. After uh, since uh, after before that, it was Union like played like he, he, they they hadn't played three days before. Uh, yeah, you, you you could see that in the end of the game too. Union, yeah. it was the Union was just trying to put the ball the ball forward and, and, and see what they can do to to, to grab the. The equalizer. You, mm. it, they, they, you saw that they, they didn't have any gas in, in the tank to try and actually do it. It was more momentum than anything else. It's it's kind of a different level, isn't it? Because obviously they they played very well a few days before, but they were playing against well, they weren't playing against River or Flamengo essentially. Because yeah. you know, as, as we established last year, those two are, are some distance above the, most of the rest of the continent. Um, And, and that was what it came down to. But they took a very early lead in the second half with Bowl heading in. Um, it was a free kick, wasn't it? For yes, Federico yes. Milo. Um, but it didn't last very long. Ignacio Fernandez also a header and a really nicely worked one and a very nice header to finish it off as well. A nice team move um, to make it 1-1 about eight minutes later. And then, as Tony said, Robert Rojas scored his first goal. River. His first goal yeah. and with his face. And he didn't know very much about it at all. Yeah. It just it was a, a corner that came in from Quintero and it just flew right through the middle of a crowd of about three people and smacked Rojas in the face and went in. It yeah, the deflection, the deflection was actually Mendes. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if he'd seen it, he would presumably have instinctively tried to duck out the way to stop it hitting him in the face, but he didn't even see it. So it just went whack off his cheek over the line. Yeah. Two ones a river. Um, of course, if River becomes champions, this match will be highly remembered because hmm. of the way they won, they won it. Uh, that match is that, of course, you it could was say... Tricky. It was yes. really tricky for, 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 for Gallardo and, and Madelon was clever enough. 
also for example with, with Mil as a left back and trying to, to push um, Montiel and not let, let him play and, and be the, the oxygen as a right back you know it was a, a tactical uh, battle between two, yes. two clever coaches with yeah. different tools And you, you call Gallardo to play that game and it's really hard to win, win him because he's, of course, he made mistakes because you could read it as a, as a mistake from him, for him uh, to have that formation but then, then he realizes changes and you have the result. Yeah, but because any other coach would, would be uh, hard-headed to make that quick stop and wait until the 60 yes. minute and 70 mm. minute to, to do it but Gallardo did it Yes. In, in the right moment the other really interesting thing I think is that it, whenever every almost every time since I've been living here and had the benefit of this wall to wall daily television coverage of you know especially the day after matches here in Argentina where they just they ask they try and make a controversy out of anything I think almost any other manager who subbed a player in the first half other than for injury the media will be trying to blow up this oh now you know Martinez Cuarta now has a big problem with the yeah. manager because he brought him off before the break there's not been any of that no uh, it's just been well Gashardo's a genius <laughs> which is again also probably slightly overblowing it but it's interesting the the, the different uh, reaction compared with I don't know if it had been Hernan Crespo doing it at the because he was also like really clear about it mm. he said it yeah. he said he needed someone else in midfield It nets it in the bud straight away, and, and that's a, a, an example of good man management as well. It wasn't a, a controversy between Martinez Cuarta and Gallardo, but it was between Quintero and Gallardo, because now the yes. media is saying that Gallardo wants, uh, Quintero wants to play more, which is obvious. Well, Quintero is saying it as well, in fairness. He, he's not saying it in a particularly confrontational manner. He's, it seems to me to be um, remaining relatively calm and saying, look, I don't have a problem with Gallardo, but... I want to be playing more. What? Um, well, no. the fact is that he, we have to admit now, even I have to admit, as his greatest fan, he, he's just, he hasn't recaptured his form since, since the injury. No. And at first, I said, when he first came back from injury, a few weeks before the, I want to say second leg of the Libertadores semi, might have been just before the final last year, um, I thought maybe Gashalo was a bit too timid about giving him starting time soon enough and therefore he sort of went off the boil because his first couple of matches substitute appearances he was very good uh, but since then he's, he now seems to have just lost his form a little bit even against Union when as you said Tony his introduction really kind of changed the pattern of the game he still wasn't the Juan Fernando Quintero of, of 2018 yeah. um, and also we have so it's going to be interesting to find out now because you know one of the points that Quintero has made is look I, I want to play I don't want to leave River necessarily but I want to be playing and River are aware that Ajax are interested NCH what's all mm. to Chelsea yeah. so that opens the door for Quintero yeah. in a way it, it sends a message it, it's going to be um, interesting to see what happens next and, and I want to, to close this with saying that if Union keeps playing with its intensity and being clever enough I mean I hope that that, that keeps going and they don't falter in, in Brazil against Mineiro when is the second leg next week this next week. week next week next week um, they ought to be as well you would think looking to solidify or well trying to get to, into Sudamericana to push into a Sudamericana spot because although they're way down in 18th and yep. the Sudamericana spots go down to 10th uh, they're only seven points behind with a few games to go I mean the way that this league has been and the form that some of the teams above them have been in 
you think it wouldn't necessarily be impossible, albeit it's a bit unlikely. But anyway, that was a big test of River's nerve. And one of the main reasons that it was a big test of River's nerve, apart from Union um, proving very tough opponents, was that 24 hours beforehand, Boca Juniors had got a 2-0 win at home to Atletico Tucumán to go overnight joint top of the Superliga. Um, we've got goal difference this season, but just to, just to clarify or just to remind people in case you've forgotten, the first and second places, or first and second and third, or however many, if any teams are tied for first place on points, uh, that then the title will be decided by a playoff rather than by goal difference. Um, so Boca were joint top on Saturday night, uh, thanks to another very well organised, very efficient. You know, I, I, every time we say this now, I feel like we're still sticking the boot into Gustavo Alfaro and Guillermo Barrasekil off. <laughs> but Boca just—they look like a team now. And you look at them and you think, "Yep, I get what they're trying to do." Even if I don't agree with all of their now, you selections, and it has to be said, Carlos Tevez, who I've disagreed with being in the team for some time now, looked quite good on Saturday. But he night. put Soldano on number nine. Yes, yes. which is yeah. good enough. And what happened, Tony? <laughs> he scored. Yeah. It, I, I was saying this on Twitter for a bit. If you put Soldano as number nine, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying he's going to be Palermo. But he's on number nine. Why you if put him centre forward? Then you'd expect him to score one in two, one in two and a half. Of games, course, yeah. Mean. I mean, the only, he played three games on number nine, and mm. he scored two goals. It's simple mathematics. Yeah, if you look up his Wikipedia, then you'll you'll see that his uh, goals per game for Boca so far isn't that great, and that's because for a large part of last year, uh, he was being played as a right winger when he. Join and he just, he's not a right winger, is he? Right. Um, but Boca look to me pretty slick. They're, they're, in those wide positions, maybe the, the players haven't quite caught the full form yet at the moment. But Jorman Campusano is, I think, is starting to look like a very tidy central midfielder um, at number five. After last year, kind of coming in and out of the team a bit and never quite, he always looks a little bit lightweight. It does me, feel like really a new signing for Boca. It does. It does mm. feel like a new signing for Boca yeah. because it, it solves kind some of the problems with Marconi not being the player that thought it would be for Boca, and it, um, this um, guy was in the Capaldo was in the in the Sudamericano, hmm. so it, it was either sticking with with Marconi, <laughs> the Rossi was the Rossi left. Even if he was 36, 37. Strange like thing in the so uh, surprisingly well uh, that play the Wilmar Barrios, uh, another uh, centre midfielder, another Colombian, and Campuzano. Well, it's then you have your your own uh, decisions as a coach, like Alfaro didn't want him or didn't have the confidence for for him, and, and now with the confidence that Russo is giving him, well, he's showing something. Uh, well, he was everywhere. Yeah, basically. if if the Colombian national team had to name like a front six of midfielders and forwards who just currently or in the last year and a half or two years have been involved at either River or Boca, they'd have a pretty handy midfield and attack. Campusano, Barrios, Barrios. Thank you. I was just trying. To, I was just about to say the bloke you just said, Andres. <laughs> you know, Quintero or Rafael Santos Borre. But there are plenty of them. Uh, Bicho. Yeah, Sebastián Misha, who was one of the wide midfielders who, as I said, was, in my opinion, was a bit hit and miss on Saturday. But on his day, very good. He yeah. just needs to learn how to make some better decisions. And we have to see if Carrascal also joins mm. those yeah. players. Uh, as he, they, he started very well the, the qualifier for the Sudamericano and then the, the Olympic Games. 
and then it's like he was uh, he couldn't continue that uh, level but uh, yeah we have to see indeed so the standings at the moment then at the top are that River have 39 points and Boca have 36 after 19 games Lanús have 33 so there is now a gap you remember at the start of the year it was like the top seven teams Argentinos were separated by two points or something and Argentinos were top uh, there is now very much a gap River six points ahead of third place Lanús seven points ahead of fourth place Argentinos who have 32 points uh, and none of those top five positions Rassinger on 31 none of those top five positions um, are tied on points um, elsewhere at the weekend Tony as I said I didn't catch many of the games I did ask you to which ones you'd managed to catch over the weekend well, other than the three we've just mentioned unfortunately Tony at least has seen quite a few of them so Tony can you give us a quick yeah, a, a, a okay. quick summary of most sure. of the main talking points, if you want. Sure, sure, sure. I, I saw Defensa Justicia against Colón. Um, it was really a tall match. Defensa Justicia was obviously a little bit more uh, threatening than Colón. Mm. I was really surprised. Uh, some of you that actually follow me on Twitter, uh, you, you you saw that I, I like to, to mess a little bit with... with, with Sorry to interrupt, this was Crespo's first game in charge of Defensa Justicia. Second. 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 Second, yeah. The first one was a draw... I, one one against Atletico Tucumán, and he was in charge for that. Oh yes, yes, the because the game he, before that was the one where he was in the stands. The blooper by Unsain was yeah, the Unsain made the the, the score of the own goal. Um, the the one that follow me follow me on Twitter saw that I, I like to check the stats some sometimes, and Colón was really, I mean, it was an Osela team. Diego Osela doesn't like to have the ball, doesn't like to <laughs> to, you know, attack. He's he's solid from the back and trying to do what what they can. But it was amazing that for 60 minutes that Lucas Bernardi was on the pitch. He made three passes. Mm. I mean, how, as a midfielder, you play the ball three times for an hour? Potential Spurs signing in the European summer? Hopefully not. Managed by Mourinho, so that sounds like his sort of... (laughs) I know, I know, but what? If he's not making passes, then he can't fail to make passes. (laughs) But, yeah, uh, I hope not. Um... Cologne wasn't wasn't really that much. It was f- for a bit, given that now the the Copa del Superliga are gonna count for the for the premier for Premios mm. that Lucas Viatri and Pulgar Rodriguez in the first game together they got a bit of understanding between them. It was promising for a Cologne perspective and trying to get the counter attack, but defensive justicia was better for long part of the game, but didn't get enough to to break down. Uh, the, the, the Cologne defense. Then mm. I saw Banfield Rosario Central, which also wasn't really entertaining. Uh, Rosario Central uh, equalizing the really last kick of the ball. Uh, the, but the goal from Lenis uh, that the, was equal the oh, opening two very late goals there. Yeah, Sorry, yes, was also quite late. 88th uh, minute, it says. Yeah. And Christian Gonzalez has equalised in 93rd minute. Yeah, but I'm feeling thought they won the game, but they Funny didn't. Funny thing, as I as I watched the 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 like short videos of the yeah. uh, of the match, was like that uh, Falcioni uh, put um, Civelli. Renato Civelli, Civelli to, defend, to, to and defend the ball and they score a header right away. Yes. <laughs> Why did you put Civelli then? Um, yeah, it, it, there wasn't much to tell really. It could be for anyone. Banfield thought they won it, and Falcini tried to defend the, 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 the that free kick, and they could it. There's a kind of a, a cliche 
uh, in English football, which is that if you sub, if you make a substitution when your team are defending a corner, then you are doomed to concede from it. And okay, this wasn't a corner, but it was a set piece. Anyway, yeah, that happened. So. And the one who scored the, the equalizer for Rosario Central has a particular name. Which is Cristian González. I was going to say, I really hope that they have nicknamed him Kini. Yes, I, but he's not. I think he's Uruguayan. I don't think he's not. Is he any relation to... No, no. I don't think no, so. No, he's Uruguayan. He's so Uruguayan, yeah. Not, not oh, right. For, for the benefit of some of our younger listeners, Kini González is a player I, I, I can just about remember him for the national team from the 90s, right? The early 2000s. Yeah. Uh, and he was... Cristian González and Kini was... And he started outside of Central. And he started and indeed finished his career. Um, at Central and is now managing I don't know where but he's either managing or coaching somewhere or other um, probably maybe I'll look it up during the break if I remember yeah then on Sunday I saw a bit of San Lorenzo and Vélez Arfield yeah this seems to have been a rather one-sided game he was it finished 1-0 game. to San Lorenzo but the side in question from what I've heard were Vélez 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 shoot everything to the Rico mm. like especially in the second half I I was actually having lunch with uh, my my in-laws. You having lunch? You kicked off at five thirty. They start eat really really late. <laughs> I start from from twelve to four. I do start. It, it's it's painful, but <laughs> they they do have the tendency to to eat really late because they wake up like you, one o'clock. I will listen. Oh, okay, that, I mean, I will listen. We'll have there, so. I will listen. We'll have had dinner at the time. I know. But uh, I mean, it's the maximum expression of the Argentinian cliche that we eat really late. That's yes. true. And well, we, I was eating a little bit, and and so especially the second half, and Belles was they didn't have the killer ball. I, I think because they were attacking from the flanks, attacking from the front, they put some on under pressure, but they couldn't break down the way to do it. Um, and San Lorenzo just snatch the win and to try to defend it the best they could. It was really, really a one-sided game. That they, San Lorenzo didn't create any chances in the second half, basically. The kid who scored the goal, Julian Palacios, has flown a little bit under our radar so far. I'm just looking at his stats now. Apparently he's played six times for San Lorenzo. I have to say, I've not noticed him until it's, now. He kind of... Kind it's, of it's his first goal, so that's not entirely... Uh, the only thing I can say is kind of a football manager player because suddenly became a star in every side I do. So I mean, he has potential. There is another Palacios at San Lorenzo. I think it's Matias Palacios, Matias Palacios. A younger, yeah. uh, I think, uh, player. Yeah. And to end the quick recap, I'm going to do. I saw Arsenal against Tacheres. Uh It was a really tough game until the end. The, there was uh, Arsenal uh, penalty kick. With uh, another red card, it's a little bit of controversy because, in my opinion, the challenge wasn't enough for for uh, the the red card. Sorry, but I've I've got here that Leonardo Godoy was sent off for a second booking. Yeah, in the seventy seventh minute. Yes, and the penalty was saved in the eighty fourth minute. Yeah, but that's the same incident. Yeah, they they took a really long time, and then then after the I mean, after that they only added on five minutes, but that's. Seven minutes at least, just between the. It should the be like ten because the after the penalty save, um, the the keeper, which I forgot the name, um, Nicolas Guidarrera, Guidarrera was uh, doing. I, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna say that he was doing a little bit of wasting time because 
the challenge but was between the defender oh, sorry, the Tacheres goalkeeper Tacheres, yes, yeah. the, the goalkeeper who made the save was Nicolas Jimenez but he, it was the Arsenal goalkeeper of course um, he, 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 the attacker hit the, the knee to the eye of Guido Herrera and Guido Herrera was on the, on the pitch with a swollen eye and trying to, to end the, the game it was it was mess everywhere the, he, he should uh, add a little bit more time actually and it, it wasn't really a classic and then I tried to watch Godoy Cruz against Huracan but I remember some saying that I shouldn't and I didn't Yeah. Um, No, I've got completely confused here. Nicolás Jiménez was the penalty taker. The icons on this are very confusing. And Uh, Guilherme made the save to the right. It was a really good save for a penalty kick when you have a solid eye. Indeed. (laughs) Anything to say at all about Joel Sonora's uh, 70th minute substitution? Or he came on in the 70th minute. He's American. Some of our listeners will be interested. Did he do anything? I, I... I do have a good, good um, future for for Joel. He's, he's a good player, but he's he's not given he's not given enough opportunities. It was yeah. a, at that time, it was a, a really it was the, the game wasn't really flowing. It was really a, a lot of fouls and discussion and arguing because Tachetes is trying to put a little bit trying to get into the Cubs and Arsenal trying to get into Libertadores so it was a, a really close game and when you have that kind of of late interventions you either go under the radar or you do something magic and, and win yeah. the game so it wasn't a good a good um, a good match for the creatives one because yeah. basically Guilherrera was the, was the saviour for the Shedders and, and, and that, that was it I've seen a fair bit on US soccer Twitter about people being curious about how Sonora is doing. So we will try and remember to keep uh, you updated, especially for our US listeners, because I know you're curious. But I mean, really, Arsenal is perhaps not the biggest and most attackingest club that he could possibly be at. They're tidy, um, but not attacking enough. Yeah. I've given you the top five already, but to clean up the Sudamericana spots at the moment, it's Arsenal in sixth, Newell's in seventh, Vélez in eighth, Rosario Central in ninth. And San Lorenzo in 10th, all on 30 points. Uh, so all only a point behind Racing and all only two points behind Argentinos, who currently occupy the Libertadores playoff spot. So it is, although we said, you know, the, the title race appears now to be stretching out a little bit. Beyond that, beyond that top three, it is all still very tight. Um, Estudiantes are in 11th with 29, Atletico Tucumán have 27 in 12th, Defensivo DC with 26 in 13th. Uh, the relegation standings I don't think will have changed that much because there were so many draws at the weekend. Um, so the relegation table, as I wait for my app to load, which actually has the relegation table. I think Gimnasia lost their last chance. Gimnasia, lo- I was well. Gimnasia got the whole Copa Superliga as well. Remember? Yeah, ah, yes. but they, counts, do, but they do have the same bad luck. I mean. I didn't say anything of the game, but I do saw that Lucas Barrio missed the penalty, and in the same uh, continuity of, of, of the play, mm. in in the way of what for against Leicester, sure, patronato equalizer. So it wasn't that epic like what for against Leicester, but it was in the same vein. Yeah, Lucas Barrio hit the hit the. Post, post the crossbars, yeah. the post wasn't it? Gabriel Alalos scored at the other end a minute later with five minutes to go, so that was pretty late as well. Um, so the standings in relegation zone are the relegation zone itself is currently Gimnasia at the bottom. Again, remember they overtook Patronato briefly last week. No, not Patronato, they overtook. Weren't they off the bottom very briefly at some point last weekend, maybe in between matches? Um, 
So mm-hmm. Kimnasia bottom, Patronato second bottom with 73 and 75 points each from 71 matches each. Aldo Sidi in 22nd and the last relegation spot with 49 points from 44 matches. Um, and then Colón currently safe with 81 points from 71 games. Um, Central, Newell's pulling clear now, 88 points from 71 games. So they're well clear of Colón and therefore you would think... Um, of, of safety unless Aldo Sibi put a run together and Gimnasia managed to pick up the form that they were showing at the end of last year again still possible because as we say the, the Copa Superliga groups group games are going to be 11 games each or 12 games each or something Completely and they're going to yeah. count towards yes. the relegation standings as well so this is not the league championship there are five games to go in the relegation standings um, there are still 17 games to go if I'm counting correctly um, so still a long way to go but yeah I mean Gimnasia now 8 points behind Colón yeah, it's quite difficult for it's them gonna tricky to... it's going to be tricky, tricky but like I said Colón and Aldo CV doesn't I mean news on Rosas Central is a different different story because Rosas Central every now and then wins a game yeah but either Colón Aldo CV Patronato Gimnasia they don't win but the trick I mean the thing is exactly yeah I mean so for Gimnasia it's not so much their own form although it would help if they were winning a few more but it's also the fact that they are picking up points at basically the same rate so far this season as the three teams immediately yes. above them Patro- ah. Gimnasia this season have 17 points Patronato have 16 Aldo Simi have 16 Colón have 17 Actually, if that form keeps up to the end of the season it could be anyone then Gimnasia are down I mean I, I was when I was watching defence against Colón for a moment I was carried away thinking defence is going to score and Aldo Civi is going to win but Aldo Civi played on, on, on Friday so they couldn't win but yeah. if they did win and Colón going to lose the next weekend and Aldo Civi win obviously Colón is going to be on relegation zone yeah so it could be anyone exactly yeah because Aldo Civi have played far fewer games um, by virtue of not having been in the 2017-18 season um, we're going to take a break now, and when we come back, we will talk a little bit about the Preolimpico, which is now finished. Uh, we have some good news on that front, and I guess some slightly bad news, but it's not really that bad. Um, <laughs> we will talk a bit about the Primera Femenina, and we will talk about a little bit of off-pitch stuff and things to look forward to this weekend. I know what I'm thinking about, but you two perhaps don't, so let me just check. Yes, this weekend. Um, so don't go away. <laughs> begin with what did I say before the break a brief review of the Preolimpico yes and then I said a couple of other things as well the Feminina and the stuff uh, off the pitch we were just talking about the Feminina as well and I managed to forget it so Preolimpico this is the tournament which I didn't realise until there was one game left the whole thing was shown on Teise because every time I looked it up on the TV guide that I used to do my local bars posters with um, it's a long story I'll explain it to you if you ever come to Buenos Aires um I, I always just see it being shown on direct TV, so I thought they had the exclusive rights and that they say we're only showing Argentina's games. And I was always out the house when Argentina played. So I didn't watch a single minute of any of the games, but you lot have been following it more assiduously than I have. 
Which I is a low bar to clear. But I, I, I think Dan was the one yeah. actually giving... At, at any rate, what I do know is that Argentina won it. Yes. Uh, so after we talked before it started about how Brazil were going to be the team to beat, Argentina would be fighting for qualification. Um, they actually qualified and won the championship with a game to go or two games to qualify with one. two games to go, won the championship with one game to go. Yes, right? exactly. Um, and then they lost 3-0 to Brazil in the final match, but it didn't matter. And from what I understand, they were largely putting out a reserve. It mattered anyway, right? for Uruguay, who got eliminated. But uh, Oh, I see. That, that meant that Brazil qualified and Uruguay yes. didn't. Yeah. It's always something. When it happened with the World Cup, the Colombians were always complaining that Argentina and Uruguay had just arranged a draw between themselves to knock Colombia out. And, uh, and now we have Uruguay getting knocked out by I think, Argentina sorry. fielding a reserve team. Argentina was the same. As Uruguay and Brazil are, are, are rivals. Could be Brazil but more, a bigger rival than Uruguay, but quite mm. similar. So it wasn't, I think, Argentina was just celebrating that they were qualified and champions. So yes, in, in a match... It's not very often that Argentina has to play against Brazil with everything uh, that Sold, has al- yeah. already decided. Yeah. Uh, but it was this case, and yes, Argentina, I think, won the Prolimico with. Uh, uh, like, knowing how to play the Prolimico. Uh, sometimes playing well, really well football or good football, sometimes. Especially in the first, yes. the first round. Some others, like, uh, knowing how, what to do in the matches, uh, that. That talks about the grown-up team, perhaps, independently of the age of the players who have the experience for playing Primera División or First Division, but sometimes that, that, that is, not, is not enough to build a team. We, we talk about in, in one of the extra, that one time Argentina went on with a full squad of first-time first time players, first-team players, and, and with a good name on it, and they didn't get to qualify. Yeah. And looking back at it, especially really back at it to the last American last year we, we, we were all really doubting Batista man management yeah, and I mean, tactics to when get was them first to appointed, we were saying this is nepotism he's you know Sergio Batista's um, brother obviously and, and how well is this going to go it turns out that this is this is the good Batista <laughs> he, did, he did really well it. yeah the, the team looks like they have an identity and they know how to play or they put the plan to, to work and they do good enough. Sometimes, like Andres said, a few odd times the, 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 the rivals do well enough to put it under a little bit of pressure. Brazil was one of the cases, even if the, it was a dead rubber. And I think, uh, thinking also, looking looking back uh, to before the, the start of the game, we, we recorded the extra... About the the Olimpico. we thought that like Samson Brazil was the t- was the team to beat, but they didn't show the promising they have with the names they they call off for for the tournament. Yeah. And I, I even think that Brazil didn't actually deserve to qualify, uh, if if I'm bold enough to say it. And Colombia was a little bit more of a team in terms of cohesiveness and team team um, flow and everything else Brazil was just scoring when they could uh, and the rest of the teams I, I think they just didn't put a fight because they don't have right now the structure or the importance to put the other 20s on 23 um, and, and, and help them develop as they do in Uruguay they actually think 
that this under 23 is a, is a, is a failure because the the Confederation of Uruguaya doesn't care about them. They right. do think and say that they just send them to, to Colombia and say, oh, do what you can. Mm. And that's it. So it was basically the, the, the best team and the best names, the ones that qualified to the Olympic Games. So I'm going to name a few. Well, basically, I've got here the starting 11 from the Columbia game, which I think was being played either while we recorded or the day before we recorded last week and was the last meaningful game that Argentina had. It was the game in which they assured qualification and first place. I think uh, they played the day after because we recorded on Wednesday and it was played on Thursday, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Thursday last week, so yeah, the day after we recorded. So I'm going to read out the starting 11 and just really, really briefly... Um, your thoughts because we've obviously we, we've talked at some length about Alexis McAllister and Adolfo Gaich and, and various of the other attacking players on this podcast um, but some of the defence especially have flown under the radar because even hardened hand of pod listeners a lot of the time just aren't interested in hearing about the latest up and coming centre back so first of all I'm going to be guessing at some of these first names okay. I'm, I'm very confident with three of the back four uh, but the goalkeeper and it just it's only given me the first initials so Fernando Cambeses Facundo Cambeses God I, I knew that the centre back was called Facundo so I was trying to it's an Argentinian it's Facundo Facundo Cambeses in goal anything to say I was right solid yeah when, when Argentina needed him he was there uh, especially I think against Colombia yeah Colombia was, was the, the, the team that actually threatened Argentina hmm. in, in defence He's a Banfield goalkeeper, so he's not going to be getting a hell of a lot of playing time, but still. Yes. Also against Chile, I think he was he had several, several mm, saves, which he showed really re- speed, uh, quickness. Uh, he was really quick to to go for balls that would say, well, it was... Yeah, he played as a sweeper. Yes. Hernán de la Fuente, who, if I'm not mistaken, is a Lanús right-back, is that right? No, he's played for Vélez. Vélez. Oh, Vélez, that's right, yeah. One of those ones. Uh, he should... I think he's a relative of the De La Fuente that was a goalkeeper as well at Vélez uh-huh. then in the 90s um, I don't have I mean the, the difference in Argentina if you want to to um, call it uh, they, they they it, it was molded in the same way if you wanted like one fight they do really well with the ball yeah. Sometimes they lap the concentration because it was, it, that was uh, good enough for, for the keeper to play as a sweeper keeper and trying to pick up everything that goes after the last line. It's a good attacking attacking right um, right back. Neuen Perez, right centre back. He that, scored a goal against Colombia. That's that's, that's a more common name. He's uh, from Newell's, mm. if I am correctly. But he, I think he was no, I think he was. If I am not wrong, uh, played for Argentina juniors, but oh, then he right. was sold. Uh, Atletico Madrid, yes. right? He's he's playing at, uh, in the reserves of Atletico Madrid. Uh, he's a Caudillo, I think. Yeah, he he looks like a, a Roberto Shala. I, I don't want to to to. You heard to, it here first. Now when Paris is. The I don't want to to put anyone under pressure, but it's it's in the same mold. It's good in the air. He knows how to play with the ball. He, he commands the line, which is mm. he has the right. Um, uh, Feel like uh, a true leader in 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 the in the centre back pairing. Facundo Medina at left centre back. I camp doesn't have much. It's a <laughs> centre back. Uh, perhaps the, the the one who is more more the leader, like like uh, Tenisade was is is Perez, but he's a good 
like uh, sharing the 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 bug with uh, with the one pairs not being very complicated with the marking uh, perhaps uh, like a silent sound bug well the one is actually i mean it makes sense that it it feels more of a failure because it's the few ones that have european um experience even if under 23 yeah uh, I mean, if you take the, the entire team they do have they don't have m many of the under 23s that play in europe like dr martinez to to be quick about it so it was one of the few that, that, that to have in the center back probably that that spot actually belongs to to valerdi if you want to sure. call a perfect under 23 argentinian team and why was valerdi not involved it, because he plays for Borussia Dortmund and then put that on quote. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I forgot it wasn't here anymore. <laughs> um, number three, C. Bravo at left back. It's not Claudio Bravo, is it? Yes. It is Claudio it is Bravo. Claudio. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's not the goalkeeper of Manchester City. He's um, a left back who plays for... Oh, come on, load it. Oh, Banfield as well. Yes, and oh, in yeah. fact, oh, the a midfielder who plays for Banfield, according to Google, but... No, he said yes, left back. I don't know whether he will be starting in starting lineup against River. The Banfield is waiting for him and Ursi. Mm. Ursi, mm. Ursi uh, is probably the. We'll talk about it in a minute. Yes. Banfield had a good cut of um, wide defenders. They mm. do have a good goalkeeper, and they they solid solid enough on the back. Uh, well, yeah, it, it, it's starting so eleven. Probably one of the teams who. I mean, obviously, Cambeses wouldn't be the starting goalkeeper, but. Possibly one of the teams who've been worst hit by the Premier League yeah. or stretching into the Super League. But it's also a testament since I look enough to to visit Banfield enough two months and the and the training rounds and everything else. Hmm. They do put a lot of care right now to the to the kids. Yeah. So it's a good testament for for the president, which is a girl. They a woman. Sorry. Sorry, a woman. That, that, that's my English failing, failing <laughs> me. Um, and I was lucky enough last Friday to talk with uh, the guy in charge of both the women's and um, the, the kids, uh, the, the, the academy yeah. for Banfield. And they do hire a lot of coaches and they put in psychologists and and people uh, nutritionists and everyone they could to help the kids which is interesting I mean it makes sense because unlike any other teams Banfield as a, as a club needs kids to get into the Primera team and, yeah. and, and being sold a, a profit as much as they could but they seem to care really really much about the the kids and they, they start to show because they they starting to get the gems it, it, they didn't get for a couple of years because they they good Juanito Casares mm. uh, James Rodriguez uh, even the, when when it comes to recruiting they were really well so they they they're starting to get back into that kind of uh, good work in, in in recruiting and, and getting the kids I also know that Falcioni's come back I mean not that. I'm accusing Crespo of being against youth development. He's a very young coach still, and we will see. But Falcioni, throughout his career, has had this, okay, often safety first on the pitch, but also a very strong emphasis wherever he's been on trying to blood the youngsters. Crespo yeah. tried to do that, but yeah. he failed. And <laughs> Falcioni is like Madrid for Union. Yeah, it, it works. For some reason, Banfield and, and, and Falcioni, they're a couple. Like Zielinski and Tukuman. 
Yeah. It's a right pairing. Yeah. Uh, in the deep midfield positions, Nicolas Capaldo, a name that we're very familiar with from it's our talks about Boca. Yeah. So, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's someone that the Boca plays at everywhere. I remember that many people were were uh, criticizing against River because he didn't put enough of a creative uh, shift. But he's a, it's, it's like a silent worker. Yeah. He he distributed the, the the ball really well. He knows how to anticipate the uh, the midfielders of the opposing team and in, in, in trying to get the ball quickly. It's, it's a good player. It's going to be very interesting to see him coming back into the new Boca with Rosa in charge um, and to see whether he looks a little bit more dynamic because certainly Rosa seems to be asking for a slightly more dynamic start from yeah. the team as a whole uh, than. Um, they were angry with Capaldo when he came back from the Prolimpico because he mm. took his day off uh, while the Banfield kids weren't they didn't have their day off they went, went to the training session but Capaldo didn't mm. and uh, Russo was angry because he didn't even see him when, when Russo uh, started to work as a coach Capaldo was in the, in the pro, with the Prolimpico mm-hmm. with the yeah, so national not, team yeah. got to know him at all uh, he wanted to win some time or or, or to take some, to have some time back uh, and uh, anyway I think he, there won't be any major or, or any uh, fine or something like that it was some angry he was angry because of that but uh, about the player itself I think he's like he, we could I, I, I don't like to compare player by player but uh, uh, we could say he's similar to Palacios with not that marking perhaps mm-hmm. more like going to the at, yeah, he, by he, surprise. he plays more about anticipation instead of of, of tackling. But he's yeah. like box to box also. Yeah, I, I mean, if Alfaro, uh, sorry, if Russo uh, keeps uh, getting the best of, of Campuzano, a, a double pivot with Campuzano and Capaldo looks really good for Boca. Yes, yes. yeah. If you if you've got the newer versions of Football Manager, which I'm only just starting to get to grips with now, it's bloody complicated. It is not. It's wait, a big wait, jump up. Why don't you talk to me? <laughs> Um, but the at least in terms of the player descriptions that they put in the game, which of course aren't always uh, accurate to what the player actually ends up doing on the pitch, uh, Capaldo is your classic segundo volante, um, alongside a very classic defensive-minded number five, Fausto Berra of Argentinos, I hope, yes. still, yeah, good, um, who I think might have been one of the missing ingredients at the game that I went to see Argentinos in a week and a half ago, and... Uh, I don't know whether he'd have made a difference to their rather draw-happy start to 2020, um, but he performed all right as well, right? Yeah, and it's it's like you said, it's a perfect complement to to um less. He he does the really job. Mm. I mean, Capaldo yes. pick it up the pieces, and Fostovera was there to to break it up. And then a line of three attacking midfielders behind a central striker, and we've said plenty about all of these four uh, already. Julian Alvarez. River youngster. Well, he he's developing his abilities as a. He started doing this at River also, but now at at the national team or, or the well, youth imagine. national team, he's uh, doing it even better uh, to work more as a second striker or, or, or offensive midfielder rather than a striker, which is his natural position. And yes, he's he's doing great. He's a good passer. He could finish a lot of plays, but. There was a match, I don't remember which was, uh, Chile, that he made 
he scored mm-hmm. a brilliant goal. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, passing the ball, then receiving it again, uh, going through the, to the middle and and, and 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 finishing it very in very good form. Mm. So he has, I think, a bit of everything: passing, finishing, and assisting. If you want to, comp- I mean, it looks like the natural replacement for Matias Suarez. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Could be uh, he's going to struggle for playing time, perhaps purely yeah. because of the identity of the club that he's he's at. But for a lot of the rest of the Superliga, he'd probably be in the starting lineup on a regular sure. basis already. Um, probably the player who most of our listeners, or if not most, then who the largest number of our listeners are most interested in hearing, uh, the player who is going to be universally recognised as the best playmaker in the English Premier League come the end of the season, Alexis McAllister. I mean, from my position of not having actually watched any of the games, just paying attention to some of the media coverage the day after, it strikes me that McAllister has had um, a rather good pre-Olympico. We're going to get on in a few minutes to talking about his um, exit from the juniors, but just in terms of what he's done on the pitch in the last few weeks, uh, from what I hear, he's been brilliant. Brilliant is a little bit much, probably, but... Headline grabbing with lots of goals and assists, but not necessarily consistent, then, I'm guessing. I mean, uh, from an Argentinian press perspective, he was coming... Because he's basically the number 10 of Boca until yeah. two weeks ago. And he was probably the, the, the guy with the most experience. And uh, he has a lot of end product, which is going to help Brighton a lot. Because they don't have that, basically. They, they, they have good players on, 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 on the wing. And, and I hope that they know how to exploit... Uh, Alexis and then thinking of Alexis and Mopé looks look really good in my head but he was coming because a Batista was clever enough I think to you know it's 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 like if you have that good player that really good player you, you build a team around that yeah and Batista with the tools he had and the players he has at disposal because like I said many of the uh, European players couldn't go to the to the Prolimpico, mm. uh, like and that did happen. For, for example, with Brazil, he had Paulinho, Matias Cunha, uh, with the tools he had and the players he had disposal. Um, Batista created a team that took around Alexis, yeah. and eventually that made that made him shine. And and with Boca happened basically the same because Tevez was in the bench, and it was obviously not a good idea to put this Tevez around anyone yeah. but everything went under and, and, and above uh, Alexis so and in the end that book uh, he's uh, he it's like lost uh, a bit he, of his that. struggle yeah yes uh, and, and Argentina it was like the I, I won't say uh, another player but uh, to compare with him but uh, like yes like you said to play for him and, and that perhaps made, made him feel special and, and, and to develop all, 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 all of his potential. Uh, perhaps that book at the first time it was like that and then it like was like fading. And, and yeah, and it's, a, it's if you're a listener from, from, from officially south of the island, you, you, you wonder how much Alexis is going to impact Brighton. Yes. Uh, given the it's style of play. Known. I mean, more than anything, the, the physicality. Yeah. I mean, 
lots, right of, lots of rough challenges in the Argentine Premier League. So the, the hardness, uh, the Argentine Premier League, the Argentine Superliga. So the hardness <laughs> of the tackling isn't going to be any news to, but the constant non-stop and the tactical um, awareness is going to be stamina something. required is, is the main thing I think. If, but if, if Brighton supporters watch some of the matches of the Brolimicon and and watch uh, McAllister uh, with his long or medium distance shots, they will be uh, expecting him for him because uh, yeah. it's one of the, his great qualities, of course. It'll be interesting. Well, also, sorry, I'm going to be quick with this because we're not we're not Premier League podcast, but they do have good players that are not actually a number 10 and they play in the midfield like Armoy like Pascal Gross mm. could help uh, uh, alleviate some of the defensive uh, work from Alexis the big question I guess is going to be whether they're, they're brave enough to put him but they do have a, one a of those young coach central midfield yes for a, a, a pure playmaker in the centre or whether they're going to put him out on one of the wings but if you terminate yeah. alone and you want him right now well it's because I yeah, imagine there's, there's a reason for that, right? Yeah. Especially, uh, we'll get on to it in a minute, to how much fuss this has caused in Argentina. I mean, I very much doubt any of this is up yeah. to residents in Brighton because they've got who they wanted anyway. So, uh, On the left wing, Agustin Orsi, who I see got a goal and a red card uh, against uh, a complete against Colombia <laughs> within the space of 20 minutes. Uh, the other, Bamfield. Uh, well, the goal home. was a wonder. Was a mm. Great strike. A cracker. Yeah, yeah one on the on top. Right of the Colombian goalkeeper, couldn't do much about it. He, he's another of, I mean, of the last three players we've mentioned: Alvarez, McAllister, and Orsi. He's probably the one we've talked about least on hand of pod because he's at the smallest club. No offense to Banfield, um, but we have mentioned him plenty of times before. I mean, he he is promising. He's going to be back in the Banfield starting lineup or one of the first subs to come on the pitch. You would expect yeah, from for, now on. Now that he's back with the club, for how he runs and the 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 fast he runs. Of course, I, I, I will compare him, or I will say he's a baby, Di Maria, or, or, or even, if you don't like Di Maria, Hueva Cunha. Yeah, uh, he, yeah he, he provides the width, for, yes. because it's actually a left-back. But um, he, when, when Alexis and, and the river right-wing, I forgot the name. Alvarez. Alvarez. Try to, to, especially Alvarez, try to cut back a little bit, because he's more of a striker than Ursi. Ursi yeah. just gave the width enough. To well, give it to Gage. Basically, he's <laughs> also one of the younger players in the squad. He's only nineteen in an under twenty-three um, squad. So I mean, in the absence of, I'm guessing Pedro de la Vega wasn't involved, was he? No, no, he wasn't. So yeah, I mean, obviously he's one of the younger players there, probably. And centre forward, also Europe bound, albeit perhaps not quite as high profile um, as Alexis McAllister, on his way to Club Brugge or Bruges or however you want to say it. Adolfo Gaich. Even he has a European surname, we will say. Yeah. So, will we? Yeah. And technically, we all do. I mean, yes, it's a Spanish. That, that's that's uh, very true. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I'm not sure when. Uh, Polish, right? The oh, tank. Yes, yeah. Probably. Yeah, right. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. I'm going to ask you a question now that Argentina is gonna, it's in, a, in the Olympic Games. Who. who now, on top of your head, who are the, the three, not on the 23, so you're going to take? Well, this is actually something I was going to ask now, because, uh. <laughs> or, or not that exact question, but how many of these players can we expect to see involved? Because presumably McAllister and Geich aren't oh. going to be at the Pre-Olimpico, and therefore having just, I'm going to be at the, the Olympic Games themselves, I mean, and therefore having just won the Pre-Olimpico, Argentina arguably 
not the most likely South American side to actually end up winning the gold medal, right? Because so many of the Brazilians are still going to be in Brazil playing together and therefore mm-hmm. they're going to be called up for the Olympic Games and presumably play in them. Um, for Argentina, it's going to be much trickier depending, of course, on who the over 23 players involved in the squad are. Yeah, and that's going to... It's a question between if they're going to have to fill up holes of players that don't go of this, this team or if they... They think of three players that actually strengthen the team. I mean, Lautaro Martinez could go. Yeah. But. We will have to see whether Inter, uh, of course, gives him. Of course, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's the Olympic Games. You probably have no that option to say no, but. Uh, uh, but in any case, if, if Gaich doesn't go because he moves to Europe, you do have plenty under the radar good enough players. Lucas Salario. You could take Lucas Salario and that, that's good enough for an for a, for a Olympic game. You, you don't need Lionel Messi for an Olympic game. If you have to no, call players Italy, yeah. from Argentina, from the from the Superliga, we will say, I will take Enzo Perez, Nacho Fernandez and Matias Suarez. But Coming yeah. from a river fan, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's not surprising. Uh, Geich, by the way, apparently the commonest country for it is Austria. According to, this is according to forebears.io. The second most common occurrence of the surname Geich is in Algeria. Oh, okay. Um, and then uh, Austria, one in every 34,336 people have this surname. In Algeria, it's one in every 217,034 people. And in Argentina, it's third on the list, uh, one in every 305,310 people have the surname Geich. Which is interesting because I've only ever heard of one of them. And then the United States is third. Um, Look at that. In spite of all of this, apparently, Geiches in the US tend to be Russian Orthodox, according to this. So, in terms of their religion. Um, which is... Oh, no. So, yes, no. Primarily Orthodox. Oh, in Russia. I thought this was in the... It's an American page. It's very confusing. Anyway, it appears to be an Austrian surname. So, Andres was right. It is European. There we go. It sounded like it that. Is, yes. It is the 394,651st most common surname in the world. Wow. Hand of pod trivia fact for you there. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, realistically, I would guess essentially that the, under, the Olympic squad is going to be as many of these guys as don't leave the Superliga in the mid year transfer window as possible. McAllister presumably won't be involved because you wouldn't think that a Premier League team are going to allow unless they play relegated. Yeah, or also I guess depending on what the FIFA rules are, I can never remember with the Olympics whether you're obliged to release players under tw- under the age of 23 or not. You're not, are you? No. For the Olympics, um, so we will see. Now, during that, we mentioned that we were going to talk in a minute about McAllister's exit from Boca Juniors. It's been a bit controversial here in Argentina, principally because. He has been accused of being a bit of a mercenary. Um, I think I mentioned in passing last week that this was all very confusing because Brighton have had him on loan. Yeah. And they've recalled him from the loan and paid the fee. Yeah. But it's been treated in Argentina as if he's a horrific mercenary who was pushing for this transfer the whole time um, and who forced his way out of Boca well, even though actually he was never a Boca owned player if you are 23 and you got sold to uh, a British team 
and they say very you, specifically in English team though. Sorry, that, yeah. yeah, Scottish clubs aren't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ones with as much Brighton. money. Right, I'm gonna say it like it is. Brighton and half of you. And they say you you can play with us unless you get this, this, and this completed. Yeah. And he has Independiente for one side and Boca Juniors for another side. Boca Juniors is, is playing the Copa Libertadores, and he has the, pro- the good uh, enough pros- prospect to play for the national team. And it's part of the requisites you you, you need to to fulfill. Yeah, I mean, what are you gonna do? You're gonna go alone, and and, and trying to push yourself and push the situation into getting into playing for the league or the place you always wanted to play. And I'm not, I'm not saying that he always played wanted to play for Brighton because that will be weird. No, sure, but, it's, but it's from his point of view, as he has said several times this week, it's an opportunity that he might not get again. And lots of Boca fans are interpreting this as oh, he'd rather play for Brighton. Than for Boca, he thinks Brighton are a bigger club than Boca. Of course, he doesn't think Brighton are. You know, in footballing terms, no offense to Brighton fans who are listening. We've got one who is here regularly, is currently on holiday. Remember, Boca are a bigger club than Brighton. But in terms of being able to put himself hundred thousand pounds in his bank account on a monthly basis, and himself in the window for any other club, exactly. There's there's no comparison. Just I mean, a footballer's career is short. If you're lucky enough to be born English, to be good enough at football, to get a deal with a, a Premier League club at a young age, then you've probably already earned enough without even breaking into the first team by the age of 20, 21, that you, if, with a bit of sensible financial management, you might never have to do a serious job in your life. But if you're Argentine and you break through, even if you spend six months playing for Boca Juniors on loan from a Premier League team, that's not the case. You have to take the move and when the, you can get it and set yourself up set your family up potentially for, for the future yeah okay his dad was a professional footballer and an Argentina international but in an era when earnings were nowhere near as high as they are today it, it's a move he can't say no to it's a move that I, I think is, is entirely from, his, from the player's point of view you can understand why he's taken it and yet Boca fans seem incredibly angry well Boca fans are delusional let's start with that <laughs> I mean they, they do think they're going to get Paolo Guerrero and San Cavani let, 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 let's get with that first. Mm-hmm. I mean, but ab- apart from all this, I think that the former directors, uh, including, of course, Daniel and Angelici, were better, I think, with dealing, dealing with these things than they are showing Amiral, Riquelme. See, this is another interesting thing, because there's been a bit of a coming together or, or a, a contradiction, uh, contradicting of one another between Macalister and Riquelme this week. Mm. And to an extent, I think, some of what's coming out of the Boca directorship, of saying, no, McAllister is, is lying, essentially, in all this. There's an, there's an extent to which this is damage limitation or, or, or trying to make this something that is the previous directorship's fault, because they've only just come in. And almost immediately, OK, on the pitch, in my opinion, from Boca's point of view, it's looking a lot better than it was. The decision to change managers is being justified. Most of what they're doing, they're fine with. And this, to me, strikes me as mm, the fans aren't happy with this guy leaving. We need to make sure they see it as his fault, not our yeah. fault, so that we don't get any of the political fallout. And this doesn't snowball Too into soon. four because years of constantly losing players, constantly being blamed for losing players and getting voted. You have the Rossi situation too, yeah. in the same month, basically. Yes, yeah, that's true as well. Um, anyway, moving on, listeners' questions now. Uh, Lawrence Hart, was Sunday one of the greatest nights in Abishaneda? 
I mean, I went to see Whitesnake. It depends on, well. on the <laughs> team you support. Yes, indeed, yeah. Or uh, the banana. Yes. Yeah, that depends. That, that's the short answer, yeah. Lawrence. Great for Dan, um, or horrible for, for Peter. P- Peter and Dan, neither of them live in Ovation either, though, so I'm not sure how we should yeah. take that. I mean, a pro- probably for the fantastic. neutrals that live in Avellaneda are going to be hellish, one way or another. Mm. That depends. Yeah. Uh, Jamie says, how do you see Maradona at the Gigante de Arrochito going? So, this is the other thing that I mentioned just before the break um, that we might talk about off-pitch. This weekend, Gimnasia visit Rosario Central... And Rosario Central have announced that they're not going to give Maradona a special homage because of his past at Newell's uh, as a player. Uh, that they're going to treat him like any other visiting manager. Well, um, that's that's good. In my opinion, this is perfectly sensible. I, I know. First of all, what we have seen so far is that the teams. I, I would bet. Okay, if we had like a um, uh, an oily sailor from Twitter, was it? What's his name? I've forgotten his actual name. But the guy who does all those silly statistics. Um, for Premier League on, on Twitter. Silly and amazing, by the way. I, I'm a big fan. Um, if we had somebody like that, I would guess that the statistics of points that Gimnasia have picked up in away games for Maradona, uh, since Maradona came in, I would guess that they have won far more games in the matches in which the home team have given Maradona a new armchair and a massive reception and a framed shirt and all the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, this also feeds in, by the way, to my main idea for Hand of Pod Extra this week, which I'm going to spring on you guys just before we record, sure. because uh, that's going to be a bit more fun. Um, so I, I think from Central's point of view, perfectly justifiable. I mean, ja- Jamie reckons um, that there are rumours that he might do a football manager and send his assistant and take charge of the game. Jamie, I love you very much because you're a sports fan, but I don't think Maradona's going to do that. And I think, in any case, in uh, for... I mean... Maybe in this table, I'm the less Maradona um, supporter, fan, call it the one you wanted. And I think he should be received as a manager. He's a manager yep. for, for the for the opposing team. I mean, it's not like a visitor that suddenly appears in your stadium and you say, oh, it's Diego Maradona. And, and as, I, as I say, I, I, I'm sure that the points per game won by Gimnasia when the opposing team make a point of treating him like a visiting god they then proceed to lose the game or draw the game far more likely than they're going to win it if Maradona wants to if Maradona wants to be angry at someone shouldn't be to Rosario Central more about the the, the warlock trying to cleanse the, the pitch <laughs> because they drew in the last minute yeah Darren Paul says is there a more 90s looking legend of a goalkeeper than Javier Hernan Crack Garcia <laughs> Personally, this he should have the black a tape around his head as part of his match day aesthetic to uh, to go with his joggers. No, nineties. Uh, who, who was who was the, the name of the Polish goalkeeper for for Liverpool? Dudek. He's a Polish goalkeeper for Liverpool, right? He was. Yeah, I think. Yes. Yeah. Let's go with him. Yeah. Good. Super. Uh, Sopel says, what's the story between the strange Bolivian team names, like behind the strange Bolivian team names, like the strongest, always ready or blooming? I'm afraid the answer to that is I I don't have a clue. I mean, I love them. And obviously, this is in response, I assume, to the fact that I made a point of mentioning this last week, how Bolivian team names are all amazing. I mean, they're they're awesome. Um, I don't actually know the origins of them. We can perhaps try and Google it for a future episode. 
Um, Nico Valenzuela has tweeted in his predictions. Thank you for those, Nico. I will read them out in a minute for Mystic Sam. And Vlado Angelkovsky says, when is the Superliga implementing VAR? Next they, year. Next year. Oh, really? They were... Next year or next season? Year, I think. So I 2021-22. the same thing, basically, because for a organizational point of well, view... Well, next season will be in six months' time. Yeah. Whereas next year will be in 18 months' time. Yeah. From an organizational point of view, they got the first... Um, Training for referees oh, last wow. week. Okay, I hadn't heard about this. I I thought that the yeah, they did. Gonna be like, who the fuck knows? They did. They it, it may get a little bit quicker now that Conmebol and UEFA got uh, arrangement for sharing referees. Oh, okay. You, you didn't hear about it? No, I I saw a headline about Conmebol and UEFA going behind FIFA's backs and assumed that this was something to do with the Intercontinental Cup, which um, also. Also but the, the 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 main part, or the easy part, is that in the Copa America, they're gonna be playing the neighborhood uh, nations of Argentina and Colombia. There's gonna be a couple of UEFA referees, uh-huh. and in the next uh, Euro, which is also in the European summer, in as many cities as you can get, there's gonna be a couple of uh, Conmebol referees. That's so funny, right? Yes. One of those statements has the potential for much more hilarity than the other. Uh, the first of them has given me um, an idea for a future Hand of Pod Extra episode that we will have to do that one. The uh, historical nature of European referees coming down to manage uh, to manage to referee in Argentina, um, well, which of course is a, a fairly, especially English referees, yeah. a fairly well established thing that happened in the middle of the 20th century it's... quite a bit. And then some interesting stories behind it, but South American referees. And after that, and after that, they're gonna share referees. Some some of the Europeans come coming for the Con, uh, Libertadores and Sudamericana, and some of the South American going to the Champions League and Europa League. It's gonna be lovely. You can't see this, but I'm looking at Tony with just a look of a rictus look of horror on my face at the idea no, I'm gonna enjoy this. of Patricio Lostao <laughs> or Hector Baldassi getting hold of a Champions League semi-final. You're gonna love it. Dig. Elizondo. God, that's gonna be amazing. Elizondo. This is, this is the beginning of them actually bringing the Champions League down to South America and making Real Madrid play against Stoya Bucharest at the altitude of La Paz. Well, if this would be amazing. If it's a sports game, they don't have to. It's actually to, happening. To, to. <laughs> Footballing inception is happening. It would have been good to watch, to, to see Elizondo being the referee of a match uh, of Real Madrid with Zidane. Don't, don't, the, don't, don't go that far away. We'll go to Brazilian referees. Get into the champ- You go to Bolivian referees to the Champions League. I'm going to love it. We're, we're going to have so much fun with this. Right. This is amazing. <laughs> uh, you just put me in a better mood now for the rest of the night. Thank you. Anyway. On that note, here is Mystic Sam's theme music. Immediately afterwards, you're going to hear Mystic Sam's and Mystic Nico's predictions for this weekend's games. Okay, here we go. I'm only seeing these fixtures apart from... Rosario Central against Gimnasia, which of course I mentioned a minute ago. Uh, the rest of them I'm only seeing for the first time. I'm reading from Nico's tweets, so I hope he's copied the fixture list down accurately. Um, and I'm just going to go off the top of my head. 
Patronato versus Union. Nico says it's going to be a draw. I'm going to go for an Union win. Because uh, I saw Tony looking insulted there. <laughs> Belles versus Godoy Cruz. We're both going to go for Belles Sarsfield to win that one. Colon versus Racing. Nico says a Racing win. I'm going for a draw, I think. After winning the Classico in that manner, they can. It, the only way is down from here. Um, <laughs> Huracan versus Aldo Civi. Nico thinks it's a draw, and I'm going to agree with him. Atletico Tucumán versus Argentinos. Nico thinks it's a draw. And again, I'm going to agree with him. Argentinos have been just full of draws at the start of this year. That They look like the drawiest side in the world to me. Rosario Central versus Gimnasia. Nico, clearly influenced by the point I was making a few minutes ago, says that Central are going to win because they're not going to be treating Maradona like a visiting god. Um, I do actually think that Gimnasia can still grind out a draw there. Um, Tacheres versus San Lorenzo. Nico sees that as a San Lorenzo win. I'm going to go for a draw in that one. Lanús versus Newells. Nico thinks draw. I think Lanús will win. River versus Banfield. Nico thinks it's a River win, which is interesting because from the look of his avatar here, he's a Boca fan, um, but he's clearly a realistic one rather than a troll. I think that River are going to get a home win. He doesn't well. think that Cavani is going to play for Boca. <laughs> Central Cordoba versus Boca Juniors he's going for a Boca win so am I Estudiantes versus Defensa y Justicia I think uh, I'm going to go for a draw but Nico says Estudiantes will win and Independiente versus Arsenal Nico says draw I say without knowing what Independiente are about to do against Fortaleza in the first leg of their Copa Sudamericana qualifier I'm going to go for an Independiente win on Monday night the only one I think it could be slight difference. Different, it's the Central Cordoba one because they're playing Santiago Estero with probably a lot of heat. Sorry, say that again, Tony. They're probably, the, I mean, they're going to play in Santiago Estero, Central Cordoba against Boca. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. So they're going to suffer what, the At what time of day? Almost 10 o'clock. Yeah, it, it, having said that, it still might be brutally hot even at that time of day. So, <laughs> we'll see. Um, some interesting looking fixtures this weekend then. Yeah, but... Yeah, River Banfield. Could unlike, be, unlike like, Banfield, Banfield welcoming their pre-Olympico stars back. Yeah, could be interesting. The only yeah. one that looks like a dull match is Huracana Lucibi. And there are doubts whether mm. finally Daniel Osvaldo could be there uh, as recovering from an injury and from the lack of activity. Oh yeah, retirement yeah. basically. Yes, five years, four years, or something in retirement for yeah. playing bad music. Um, one thing that we mentioned just before the half-time break, but that then we, we then forgot to do in the second half, so let's add it in very quickly now, is, Tony, the Primera Femenina, we have actually been talking just this evening, around, around before and during um, the half-time break of recording, um, about possibly a Hand of Pod outing to go to one of the big clashes this weekend, which yes. Tony is presumably about to mention as a bit of a preview for us. Yep. Uh, the last... Um we can saw that Wajukisa normally win against Racing Club. I thought they were going to be a little bit more of a comfortable win for, for Wai, but Racing fight back a lot. They, they, they made the, the, the Wai keeper work quite a lot. To well, one of, sorry to interrupt already. Sure. One of the things, I, I made this point when we were talking earlier, when you first arrived. Um, watching from afar, you know, I, I try to watch a few games, but I don't, I don't make a point of watching the whole lot. Uh, but one of the things that 
seems to me is that this new era of professionalisation has led to a certain kind of levelling out of some of the top squads at least it does it does while Kisa last season were basically the big five yeah. on their own and then the second rung of, of clubs was River, Boca, St. Lorenzo or some of the other big ones yeah. um, and now it seems like there's there are more teams competing yeah the I mean run. River, Boca, San Lorenzo and Guayuquiz are the the main lot, the one that actually tries to get most of the points and, and they get most of the wins. Uh, there is a second lot that is composed by Rosario Central, Estudiantes La Plata, Gimnasio La Plata, Platense, uh, Racing, Independiente. There are. If you've got the letters PLAT in your name at some point, then it seems pretty good, right? The two La Plata clubs, yeah. Platense. Yeah. So. Probably. Uh, if, well, if you're thinking about starting a women's football club in Argentina. Yeah. Think well, about trying to get Platt in Platt. there somehow. Um, but not for Daniel Platt. Um, oh, River Plate, of course, as well. River Plate, yeah, right. Uh, so so that's like a second lot. They're actually... I mean, some some of them and, and, and are not into the Campeonato... Um, Group. Uh, the group, yeah, championship yeah. round after the, the, the finish of the, the... There are still a few games to go until yes, the, uh, the league. Three games, right, if I remember correctly. I mean, Platense, for example... They got a draw against Gimnasia and they lost uh, previously to Guayuquiza only 2-0. Uh-huh. But they're, they're out. They're into the relegation zone or the relegation okay. group. Um, and then you have another group of, of teams like El Porvenir, Defensores Belgrano, Defensores Belgrano, for example. Some of the players couldn't play on Monday because they were actually scheduled for a, a Sunday. But mm-hmm. the, the men's game was rescheduled for the Sunday right, at the same time. Stadium. So, yeah, so they... Took it to the Monday, and some of the of the players couldn't get uh, off the jobs they, they oh. have to play on Monday. This is the kind of situation where I think a little bit of solidarity between the clubs in the women's game might be handy because, from a logistical point of view, if both sides were okay with it, I wouldn't be able to see an awful lot wrong with Defensores de Belgrano's players perhaps playing in one of the auxiliary uh, uh, pitches at River. For example, they're only a few hundred meters apart, yeah, so yeah. like. It's not like it's going to be a massive pain in the arse. It's not like else, they're going to, to suffer a huge hitting gate revenue or anything. Yeah. And because most of the games are free or, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And that's like another uh, share of teams. Bishop San Carlos is last because they basically don't have uh, cones Money. to train. Yeah. They, and, uh, they play on Monday against Boca. And they oh, lost. they had their kit stolen, didn't they? No, that was the Carlos. I'm oh, sorry, I've spoiled it. Oh, don't Correct. worry. Um, Bicho San Carlos, it's it's near La. It's if you go from uh, Buenos Aires to La Plata, mm. it's in the way to to La Plata, and it's the team that try is trying to get a, a trans player to play. Yes, and they play on Monday without a trans player against Boca and they lost a nil. But it it's it's such the 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 movement that. Some of the people that, that went to see the game and they actually go to see Bicha San Carlos playing in the, in the men's game, they, they, they said that there were more people in the women's game instead of the men's game. And they shared the, the stance with the Boca fans. Obviously, nothing happened. Yeah. And even when they don't have anything to train with, the under-19s, they had to travel to Rosario and they were selling uh, numbers for a, a ruffle. To the people on the stands to get fun funds this, this to get the, to Rosario. The women's under 19. Yeah, the, for right, San Carlos. Right. Yeah, they had to play Rosario Central and they don't have any money to, to, to go there. So yeah. they, they, they were selling numbers. I mean, 
and you play against Boca, yeah, which is probably the most funded team in Argentina right now. Mm. It's the, the 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 gap between the teams is really clear, and you can see it not only on the pitch, but in the, this kind of of things. Adidas made uh, uh, equipment for the women's team of Boca, right? And that's and some of the players they don't have uh, proper sizes in other teams. I mean, it's, it 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 feels like a different league if you see the game. It looks like a Boca Juniors playing Copa Argentina against you know. I play uh, a, a yeah. team from from Cordoba. And who, who were the team who had their kits stolen? El Porvenir. A week or two ago, El Porvenir. Yeah. yeah. So this uh, next week, uh, Wave Kids plays against River in the start of on, on Saturday at, at five uh, p.m. It's going to be on TV if you catch it. If on TNT, we might be there. We might be there. Uh, it's, it's probably going to be a fun game because River and Wave are trying to you know get into the honor of winning the league even if you win the league when you get to the championship round Racing against Lanús is very interesting um, it's also on Saturday at the same hour uh, Rosario Central receives Defensores de Belgrano which is also another team that's trying to, to consolidate uh, that place in the championship uh, group uh, and then Platense, Bichos and Carlos and Boca Juniors against that looks like uh, something that we know what, how it's going to end and Huracan Independiente are probably going to be interesting to play on on, on on Monday. And talking about sharing grounds, mm. um, Huracan doesn't play in the stadium, of course. Uh, also doesn't play in La Quimita. They're going to play in Sacachispas ground. Oh. Which is quite close by, isn't it? Just no. No? It's really far. So I'm, getting side with, actually. I'm, I'm getting them mixed up with somebody else. There's a lower league team who have a stadium just the other it's side of the beach. Near the, the, yeah, it's near the... the, the um, it's, it's also way more uh, more far away than San Lorenzo as well. Yeah. Hmm. In the same um, Andres, you brought something up here that you want to raise. Yes, I, I got a, a piece uh, which is interesting because perhaps we imagine something like this, but... Uh, it really happens about the how bad uh, women are treated in and inequity between teams. Yes, basically what I heard, heard or what I read is that they are playing in times in which they have have, have to go to work because yeah. they have, of course, another another job. Uh, a lot of them don't have that contract uh, 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 that AFA said that they they, they should uh, sign. And uh, the Defensores del Grano played the, their match against El Pornir under protest because, of yeah. course, this, and apart from this uh, uh, time that was uh, sk- uh, scheduled uh, with not caring about their the their, their jobs of the of the women, uh, I I read that they go to training sessions and there there's no medic, for example, mm-hmm. um, or, or contracts for the players that. Have to have their contracts that doesn't aren't signed in in, in time, um, things like this. Like, are, well, they don't care, basically. Because it's one of the teams that are bankrolled by AFA. For example, Boca and River. Yeah, that uh, they, they're bankrolled by, by the team. Yeah, they yes. they get enough funds to to even if if the women's team is it are playing in uh, are losing money because basically there, there's no profit right now in Argentinian uh, women's football mm-hmm. but Boca, River uh, probably someone else they're doing the, their job probably like I don't know maybe Estudiantes because it looks like a serious club running yeah. club they bankrolled themselves but some teams like Vicha San Carlos like, like El Porvenir 
they're they basically need the the AFA funding, the AFA promised yes. to fund the, the contract. Yes, yeah, so and there's like a minimum minimum wage. To to ex, uh, to explain this, a lot of you will remember around this no not this time last year but May or something last yeah, year. April, yeah. uh, the AFA came up with a regulation that we discussed at the time, which was to force all top flight teams um, to pay for at least eight part time contracts per squad if they were going to compete in the Primera Femenina this season Um, and that came together with the AFA agreeing to subsidise those eight contracts so essentially we mentioned at the time that San Lorenzo were the first team to contract um, their women's team and they handed out 15 contracts for their first team Um, they went beyond what the AFA asked but basically the AFA I don't know whether the AFA are giving San Lorenzo the money uh, in that case, or whether they're you know giving eight, eight contracts worth of cash to San Lorenzo and, and, then the rest, and all the yeah. other teams, and the other teams are just making up the difference, or whether the teams have said no, we don't want it. I can't imagine that the, that the latter would be the case. But basically, the AFA are bankrolling those eight eight contracts. They're, they're subsidising the clubs to that effect, um, unless the clubs say otherwise. So that's what we mean. Anyway, this we, weekend we, as we said. Yeah, go. we said the other the other time in the, the last episode that. There were matches at 9, 9 a.m. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the morning, which of course is uh, for normal job, regular job. It's uh, of course uh, it's oh, oh, you go to play the, the match or you go to the to, to work. Yeah, yeah but, but even, even if, if you work Monday to Friday and then play football at the weekend, you kind of you want to lie in on the Saturday, don't you? And yeah, then, I mean, you know, to be so, even if you if it's a nine o'clock kickoff on a Saturday morning, it's still not. Yes. And you have to travel on your own, and you have to do everything. Yeah. Morning. Um, anyway, as we said, this weekend River host Y Urquiza um, on Saturday afternoon and Hand of Pod will almost, well, you're going anyway, aren't yeah. you, Tony? So Hand of Pod will definitely have some representation and there is a chance that Andres and myself and possibly my girlfriend uh, will be joining Tony for that. If my girlfriend joins, by the way, then it will be the first ever football match that she attends in her life. So we might try and get her on briefly next week if we record here, uh, not at Dan's. Um, to uh, talk a bit about that but for now thank you very much indeed for listening to us for another week Uh, we will see you again very soon if you are a Hand of Pod Extra listener then you've got a very juicy Hand of Pod Extra episode coming up that we are about to record if you want to be a Hand of Pod Extra listener we have had a new one while we've been recording I've received an email to say we've got another $5 a month patron so welcome to Vlad Angel or Vlad Angel um, thank you very much indeed. Oh, it's it's Vlad Ankhovsky who asked our last question of the week this week. Thank you very much, Vlad. Welcome. Uh, I, when, um, when I heard that, I, I thought of Angelisi, but of course he's not. <laughs> no, well, maybe it's a, a pseudonym. Maybe we need to go back and delete lots of stuff from old episodes before we get in trouble with him. He is a lawyer, after all. Um, but anyway, thank you very much indeed, Vlad. And to everybody else on Patron, Patreon, remember, if you want to join the club, then you can go to patreon.com slash handofpod and sign up there. And if you want a 20% discount for your first three months of Fanatis, go to fntz.co slash hop and use the discount code HOPFZ. For now, thank you very much and goodbye from Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. From Tony. Thank you. Goodbye. From and oh, I was going to say from Dan, but he's not the here. The spirit is here with the wind. Old from Latrice, who's sitting over there on my seat, just staring at me as if I'm insane. Uh, and from me, thank you and goodbye.
full-time score to tell you about. Um, a couple of minutes before we finished recording the, that episode, Independiente versus Fortaleza kicked off in the Copa Sudamericana qualifiers. First leg. Uh, it's just ended. Independiente won 1-0. I think that the second leg is in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> 